You're listening to The Martial Brain, the podcast that explores the intersection between the martial arts, science, critical thinking, skepticism, and that wacky organ that floats inside our skulls in a pool of cerebral spinal fluid, making life unpredictably inspiring, infuriating, and sometimes just batshit crazy. I'm Jeff Westfall for The Martial Brain. Bright Lines and Blurred Lines, Part 3. This mini-series of podcasts is about types of human behavior that can be good at one end of a spectrum and bad at the other. Or more accurately, the spectrum should be described like this. On one end is the total lack of the good behavior. In the middle is the Goldilocks zone, meaning just the right amount of the good behavior. And on the other end are extreme versions of the behavior that are no longer good, but have become bad. Today's behavior is a combination of two related ones. The first is that of having a strong work ethic. The second is the practice of exercising regularly. Let's go in reverse order and tackle exercise first. Clearly, exercise is important. Extremely important. We didn't evolve bodies and brains that are suited to sedentary lives. Unless your full-time job is extremely physical, it's in your best interest to follow a regular and sometimes strenuous exercise regimen. That should be obvious to everyone and should function as a baseline for healthy living and for athletic performance. But even something as positive and important as exercise can be carried too far. Now, of course, for most of us, we have exactly the opposite problem. We don't exercise enough and probably would have trouble wrapping our fallible human brains around the concept that it's possible to do it too much. But I have yet to find a human behavior that cannot and has not been taken to toxic extremes. And of course, exercise is no exception. As a matter of fact, there are even degrees of the level of too much exercise, branching into both physical and psychological red zones. The first, and by far the most common, is simple overtraining. I regularly preach to my students that overtraining is worse than undertraining. The way that a regular exercise program is supposed to work is that your workout session, if it's properly structured and executed, stresses one or more of your body's systems just a little bit more than its current fitness level would normally handle, causing a small amount of trauma in the tissues of that system. And then, after the workout, you allow the appropriate amount of rest time for your body's amazing healing ability to repair the damage, leaving the system just a bit more effective at its job than it was before. Repeat this process on a regular basis, and voila! You are stronger, or more fit, or more flexible. Now, timing is the key. You have to allow adequate time for your body to heal before repeating the workout, or one similar to it. But if you wait too long, your body will begin to detrain. That word means beginning to lose your hard-won gains in strength, endurance, or flexibility. The good news is that too long turns out to be, on average, about four weeks or longer. 
how much detraining the science says it takes to begin to significantly degrade your strength, anaerobic endurance, aerobic endurance, or flexibility. Now, some athletes freak out because they notice that their muscles lose size much sooner than four weeks after ceasing a workout regimen, sometimes after just a few days. But this phenomenon is no cause for alarm. The mass that these athletes are apparently losing is simply stored muscle fuel called glycogen, along with the water that it's chemically bound to, not real muscle mass. That former muscle size will spring back quickly upon resuming training. All this should tell you that it's actually quite difficult to lose gains that you've made. Laying off for four weeks is quite a lapse for a serious athlete. Barring injury, quite an unlikely lapse. So it's silly to be afraid of taking a few days or even a week off from training to combat the staleness and burnout of overtraining. But if you leave off too much from training, you will definitely reduce the speed at which you grow stronger or more fit. So the issue is not how much you lose if you rest for too long, but how much you don't gain. Keep in mind that you don't live forever. You have a finite number of years as an athlete. When you lay off from training for too long, you've lost time that you can never get back. But that's the opposite end of the spectrum from today's subject. As I said earlier, overtraining is worse than undertraining. At the very minimum, it slows or stops any gains you may otherwise be making. Stubbornly continuing to overtrain can actually reverse gains, reducing performance, making you weaker or less fit. Isn't it ironic that exercising a lot can make you weaker? But it's true. Not only that, it can also cause unnecessary muscle soreness, depression, a decline in mental sharpness, and irritability, which means you'll be even more of an asshole than you might already be. But wait, that's not all. If that's not enough to convince you that overtraining is bad, if you keep it up, your immune system will suffer, almost certainly leading to illness. But wait, there's more. Perhaps the most ironic typical outcome of overtraining is injury. Your tissues have become more susceptible to injury, and because your brain is not working as well, your technique will suffer too, which further increases the chances that you'll hurt yourself. Now, an injury just might finally make you accede to the need to rest, unless you're a truly gifted idiot. Speaking of truly gifted idiots, if you continue to overtrain despite all the warning signs, all the aforementioned symptoms and ill effects, you too can experience rhabdomyolysis. Also called rhabdo, this is a condition that's normally brought on by terrible injury to muscle tissue, like being crushed or electrocuted or subjected to third-degree burns or the venom of poisonous snakes. Is it really possible to do similar damage to your muscles simply by training too hard? It happens way more often than you might realize. The muscle tissue becomes so damaged that it begins to break down into its component proteins, which end up in your blood and then in your kidneys, giving you beautiful deep brown urine. These protein molecules are much too large and complicated for your kidneys to handle. Slam enough of them into your kidneys and these amazing organs will begin to fail. 
perhaps even becoming permanently damaged, leading to the need for lifelong regular dialysis, or if you're lucky enough to make it down the list, a kidney transplant. And if that's not enough to scare the shit out of you, rhabdomyolysis can also throw your electrolyte imbalance so out of whack that it can wreck your heart and kill you. Now this horrifying cornucopia of ill effects should make you wonder why anyone in their right mind would subject themselves to the dangers of overtraining. But don't forget the number one subject of this podcast, our quirky, fallible, goofy human brains. A very common thought that occurs to an enthusiastic athlete is, if a little bit of training in a week gets me this far, a whole lot more will get me even further. Now this is the kind of mentality that thinks that if you can find nine compliant women of childbearing age, you can make a baby in a month. Some things just take as long as they take, and cannot be forced, no matter how strong your will. In addition to a lack of critical thinking, there can also be a psychological component in over-exercising. This is exercise addiction, which is different from simply overtraining. It bears all the symptoms of addiction to a chemical substance. Even if you know that overtraining can harm you, if you're addicted, you find it difficult to stop. You even experience withdrawal symptoms if you cease exercising. This is frequently due to a greater suite of psychological problems involving eating disorders or body image disorders. If you think you have real exercise addiction, you really need to seek professional help. Aside from the psychological disorders of true exercise addiction, what is it that might compel otherwise perfectly normal humans to engage in overtraining? Well, I'm sure that there must be a number of possible causes. The ability of the human brain to come up with motivations for toxic behavior has never ceased to amaze me. And that brings us to the other related behavior that I described at the beginning of the podcast. That's the habit of vigorously pursuing a work ethic. Just like all the other behaviors I've been describing, on one end of the work ethic spectrum, you have the lazy slob with no work ethic. In the sweet spot in the center, you have someone who has a sane, sensible amount of it. And on the toxic end of the spectrum is the workaholic and even the masochist. One particular cause for this toxic amount of work ethic, I think, at least in the Northern European and American cultures, is connected to our white Anglo-Saxon Protestant cultural heritage which emphasizes the value of suffering. Old white men are fond of nodding knowingly to each other when they see a young man suffering through some sort of painful, brutally hard labor or exercise, and of uttering monosyllabic phrases like, Yeah, it's good for him. This almost Calvinist worship of suffering in our culture must surely contribute to the incidence of overtraining among young athletes here. Anyway, that's what I think. But I could be wrong. Let me know what you think, and check out old episodes of the Martial Brain Podcast at my website, rpmartialarts.com. I'm Jeff Westfall for the Martial Brain. The Martial Brain is produced by Raging Squirrel Productions in association with the Rising Phoenix Martial Arts Academy. 
If you like the podcast and would like to help it grow, go to iTunes or Stitcher and give it an honest rating and review. Contact me with questions about the Marshall Brain or about the Rising Phoenix Academy at my website, rpmartialarts.com.